Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Scalar Learning Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Huzefa. And today we are continuing the trend with more ed tech companies, amazing ed tech companies to watch to see what they're contributing to the world of education and how they are improving along the way. And today is a really special guest because we're talking about a tool and a product and a company that is dedicated and devoted to optimizing online learning. And that's, of course, very important to me and, and, and very fascinating for me because I have video courses and I'm big into online learning as well and see that as the future of education. So this is really exciting. And I don't want to say too much, but the name of the company is Emotuit, and I'm really going to let the president of the company explain what it's all about. But but it is it is a fascinating, fascinating concept, and it's really all about optimization. So who we have on the show today, his name is Ross Jones, and he is the president of Emotuit. And before I bring him, bring him on and introduce him, I just want to read a little blurb about him. So this is from the Our Team section of the Emotuit website. It says, Ross believes that bridging that data gap in education can help provide better support for students and reach those all over the world who do not have access to great levels of teaching. He has a background in IT and project management and likes building things normally, techie things or anything gadget related for that matter. So without further ado, Ross Jones, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Thank you. So... Tell me a little bit, first tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, what you've worked in, and then we can jump to Emotuit after that. Uh, yeah, I've got kind of a, a different background. I, uh, I, originally, when I started out in, I suppose, education, when I went through the, the traditional school, university kind of route, um, I initially wanted to be an architect. I like drawing things, I like design and stuff, so I thought, yeah, it would be a great thing for me to do. Uh, I didn't get the grades I needed to do that, but I thought, I still need to go to university to do something. Uh, so then I went to do motorsport engineering, which sounds really fancy, and it's it's pretty cool, but along the way I found myself, again, it was something that I kind of thought, this isn't really what I want to do. Um, and ironically, I then had a car crash while I was studying, and I was out for a year, so I, I didn't. Uh, complete that my second year of university so I had to go back and retake it uh, while I while I was doing that I uh, found a job through a, a friend of the family which was as a headhunter um, and it was something that as a young person I thought was uh, was interesting I didn't quite know what I what I needed to do and um, and yeah it was it was really interesting for me to do and I found that I actually really liked the small company I was working for the access to the actual business side of things I really enjoyed and so I ended up continuing to do that rather than with my studies. I haven't taken the traditional route for education by any means uh, but then as I moved up through the ranks in that industry um, we were struck with the downturn or the uh, economic downturn in 2008 and funnily enough people didn't have much of a desire for 
for headhunters. So I thought I kind of really need a job that uh, that isn't going to be hit in this sort of this sort of situation. And I've always liked IT, and I've always had an interest in in building things in that way. So I, I kind of took a route down there, and and through through that, I've, I found myself kind of working my way through that uh, career ladder um, until I started doing IT consulting, and I've done I did that for uh, until I started to motivate really. So I've I've done a lot of different stuff through IT, but for me, it's I've always wanted to do something that made an impact, and since I was a kid, I've always done. Yeah, started my own thing, whether that's, you know, I do really random stuff as a kid. I, you know, host the yard sales or uh, go carol singing at Christmas or yeah, anything that would be washing cars and stuff like that, anything that I could do to start my own thing. And I suppose that with, uh, as I found my path through IT, I, you know, I, I like IT. It's something that everyone needs. I, I, I like the I suppose the creativity you can have in nowadays, like building things um, when you have an idea. But for me, it's a case of I, what I really found along the way is that I have a passion for uh, making that impact. And it's, it's all about continuous education for me. It's, I think nowadays it's, it's very different from when we were young and then even more so than when our parents were young. And the job market is changing every day. So I found while I was in IT that you need to continually improve your skill set and what you can do and what you can offer because you know the technology is is changing every year and unless you adapt and grow with that that you you can't do what you do especially when I was you know consulting that's incredibly important you need to be in demand for the skills that are actually in demand as well so I found myself taking more and more online courses as you know as you mentioned as well and that was where I really found that there was more and more becoming available online, um, but the quality of what was being delivered just, you know, I, f- I found it really difficult to, to digest. Uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I, that was my background. And that was one of the turning points where I kind of thought, you know, this is, this is, this is a problem and why can't this be better? And it was through that frustration and actually around I was looking at some other things at the uh, the time, uh, another project that I was working on, and uh, I was kind of mulling around the ideas of what I could do for better A-B testing to understand uh, user feedback on um, some of the things that that we were kind of trying to deliver. Um, And then I was reading about different technologies, and um, this was back, you know, tail end of 2014. Uh, so this is when we originally kind of were digesting this or try, started to look into it. And so then I, I started looking at um, people that were doing uh, emotional response or emotion recognition, uh, aside from the, the, the pure facial recognition. And at the time, there weren't that many people that were, were doing or offering this sort of service. And it was really interesting to me what it could provide and the feedback it could provide. And so, and so let's let's pause for one second because I want to yeah. let me give you a quick intro now to people. Now we're talking about a mo to it, and so let me kind of give. I'm going to give a quick 
breakdown of the yeah, way I, I understand it, and then I want you to dive into it. So a motuit, uh, from what I've read, is what it does is, okay, there's the issue that exists with online learning. And I'm very familiar with online learning because, as I said, I have online video courses. I'm active with the Udemy community, which is a huge online learning platform. The issue is, is as far as when you're trying to get feedback, what works, what doesn't, what's engaging, what's not. We have a lot of limitations. Maybe you have reviews, you have some ratings that you can get. Those may not necessarily hit everything. And then as far as like what specific pieces are, are actually gripping people, well, you can see what they watched, what they didn't, when they paused, when they played, but it's limited. What Emotuit has tr- is, is doing, which is incredible, is they're actually re- using facial recognition software, I believe. They're, they're measuring emotional responses. And I, I believe it's something like there's seven emotional responses that you guys look for in particular. And using that yep. data and those analytics, you then feed that analytics back to the content providers. And then they can use that to optimize or maybe, maybe direct more content towards what's more engaging. Now, is that Did I roughly get it? Yep, yep, that's that's pretty much exactly what we do. Yeah. So tell us about I mean, first of all, so you said you you saw this technology was available and then you were you were also looking at video courses and you were realizing there was this disconnect. I mean, how how did you how were you guys able to bridge the gap and actually create something that works using this technology and implementing it with different online learning tools? Yes, it it kind of it, as I mentioned it was when I was first looking at it, I was more looking at it from a, a user testing point of view uh, because I was looking at the, the ways that we could get better feedback from A-B testing of you know, sites or features and things that were being designed. Uh, so then I thought, oh, this would be a decent way to, to get feedback instead of, again, like you said, you can, you can ask people for this sort of feedback, but uh, it'll be, I was like, this would be really good to to actually just take it from them, you know, getting their honest feedback based on how they're responding. And, uh, and then at the time I was doing my, uh, mm-hmm. is my um, project, one of my agile project management uh, online courses. And it was probably the worst course I've ever taken online. It was, and it wasn't a cheap course. It, this is like most, most of them as well. And this was a course where it had videos that were 45 minutes long and the guy was probably incredibly talented uh, and obviously very good at what he does, uh, but he just didn't have one of those dynamic ways of delivering. It was just a lecture that was recorded. All of them were just recorded lectures, and I just struggled the entire way through. And as I was taking these and exploring that technology, I thought, how, why can't we bring those two technologies together to solve that sort of solution? And so then that's what it got me really thinking about, like, how would this work? How can it work? Is anyone already doing this? And, and the more I dug into it, I started looking at, into the scientific research that had been done in understanding emotional response uh, that, and how you can understand engagement from emotional response. So we started really digging into more of the, uh, the research side of things to understand what had been done, who had looked into what, how can we kind of leverage this, and then how can we take that technology and the data that we're getting and really turn it into something. So we spent quite a lot, a lot of time researching what we were doing and how we could really deliver it. Um, and then what we did was went out to uh, essentially build our own learning management system, which we, we did for, uh, for all intents and, intents and purposes. Um, but it, so we built a mobile platform, we built a web app, mm-hmm. and that's what we were going to be bringing to market. But we were, we were really very small at the time. We were only just two people. 
Um, so a two-person two team bringing a learning management system to the market probably was going to come up against uh, a, a lot of uh, challenges. So we actually joined um, an accelerator program in Utah called Boom Startup. And uh, when we were going in, there's some really good mentors, people who were running it there. Um, and a guy called uh, Steve I was talking to, um, he, he has, you know, came from, from the industry, um, was like, it's a really crowded market. You're, gonna, you're going up against all of these people. Everyone's bringing out a learning management system at the moment. Everyone thinks that they can take on the world with it. I think you're really going to struggle. He said, I think the best way to approach it is to integrate with existing learning management systems and provide the benefits of what you're trying to give people with their current systems. So again, we were like, okay, let's, how, can we, how can we achieve this? So during that, the three-month period we were with them, uh, that's essentially what we did. So we built uh, integrations. So we got an app for Canvas. We've got a, a building block for Blackboard. Uh, and now we're actually working on our, our Moodle integration as well. So we, we kind of, we've changed a lot as, uh, as we've gone through. I'd love to say we've been incredibly agile in doing it, but you know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a learn through the, through the industry, but um, that's kind of how we got to where we are now. Now, now you, t- you mentioned Blackboard. What about have you have you guys thought about integrating it to like I'm just going to name some softwares that we use, some different software tools yep. that we use with our kids. Like there's a amazing math program called Alex. There's another great reading program called Reading Plus. What about uh, have you guys thought about reaching out to these types of companies and partnering with them? Uh, we'd love to. You know, for us, it's about again we're we're still um, really quite a small company compared to a lot of. A lot of people so we try and do uh, whatever we can that has is going to have the biggest impact and so for us obviously we went for the biggest platforms we could mm-hmm. uh, that doesn't mean it's not possible to do the other ones uh, it's just we haven't you know we've got a list of different partners that uh, are interested in uh, in working with us in that way we just haven't got the resource at the moment to do it but by all means it's it's possible it's definitely something that we'd love to you know for us we'd love to be the you know be the go-to to provide this sort of information um, because, it, you know, like, like you kind of said when you were giving uh, the introduction to, to kind of what we do or your understanding of what we do, it's yeah, my best analogy to describe what we do in the, the simplest form is that, you know, when you're a, a teacher and you stand in front of a class full of students, you can tell how engaged your students are because you can see them. Any, well, any cues that you get from their face you know, I've done. I've taught people IT standing in front of class before, and you know, IT isn't the most glory, glory, you know, greatest subject to teach people, and it can be quite boring. And I've had people falling asleep as I'm doing it, uh, and it, it's a long class as well, so I know that that's something that it can happen. It, it does. It is really boring, um, but I can I can tell that. So you know, I'm like, guys, let's take a break. We've been at this an hour and a half. Let's let's break this up. Or if I know that people are really struggling, I can go over to their desks. I can make sure they're actually understanding what we're doing, uh, because every person I'm dealing with is different. Yet as soon as we put that content online, which is you know, it, it's great that it's happening. Access is one thing, but really understanding what works for each individual student, that's what we're lacking, and that's what we're trying to then obviously bring back. It's bringing back the eyes to the people that are creating the content, or to the people that are delivering the content to you so you can actually understand what's working and what isn't and if your student needs more help or if we can kind of help them understand more about what works with individual students 
and I think that's really important. Absolutely. Can you give us can you give us some examples of 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 these of these companies that you've partnered with where they've taken some of the analytics and actually been able to use it to modify their model? Yeah. So we we I think we partner with we're, I suppose we're technical partners with them. So we it'll be a case of it will and it differs. It's either um, instructional design teams or it can be. Uh, it de- so it depends on the size of the, the university or school on who actually is the one that's providing the content or creating the content. But it can either be the teacher that's creating the courses that are being put on there. So the information that they get back is information that is really, uh, it gives a full breakdown of their course so they can see every individual module or page or piece of content within that course and the engagement score in that. And then they can see if there's low engagement across their, their entire student body uh, then you know everyone in their course they're like okay well there's obviously clearly a problem with my content so you get to you get to understand how students are engaged across time so it's time versus engagement uh, so this is what we provide to them and this will then help them understand oh well students actually aren't spending very long in here and engagement is dropping out after two minutes you know there's a lot of content in here people aren't even making it through you know a tenth of what they should you can monitor the changes that you've made and see how much of an improvement that makes. But then it also allows you to look at your your whole student body within that course and say, okay, well, all of these students, they're finding this module fine, but this one particular student's really struggling. So maybe we need to reach out to them and really find out how we can make it easier for them to understand. So it's, it's it, we come at it from a two angles when it comes to, so it's either making those iterations to the content. And I think, the old mindset was, you know, we've created a course, it's done. But I think now people are starting to realize that that's not the case. It's, it's an iterative process. It's a cycle. And you need to be prepared to continue to make changes to your course. And this is what tends to happen. It's they're like, okay, well, maybe we need to make a change to this. And students year on year might be different. So that's what you need to take into account that you need to be ready and prepared to do that. So that's the sort of feedback that then we provide. And then they make the changes. And then they can analyze those changes and see what happens over the next however many days or weeks that they look at it. Uh, so that's the kind of feedback that then we provide to them. I think that is a point that was definitely nailed home, for example, at the, at the Udemy Live conference as far as, yeah, your course is a living, breathing entity. I, I'm actually currently going through a massive revision process for one of my courses as well for the SAT on the math portion of that. So I, I completely understand that. I, I just wanted to touch on one of the technical aspects. So I know that it you mentioned on your website that you're looking specifically at seven key emotions. And my assumption is, for example, being happy would be a uh, emotion or an indicator that, that maybe think, you know, that they're engaged and and they're enjoying the the course, but is there any surprises in there? Like any emotions that we wouldn't think of that you're actually looking for that indicate engagement that we wouldn't necessarily intuitively guess? Yeah, definitely. And it's one that you kind of, it's, counterintuitive i suppose you'd say because um and i i really like this subject because firstly what we need to understand is that engagement is different for every single person there isn't a figure that you have to hit that makes you engaged because it differs from every individual person everyone expresses differently everyone looks differently when they're uh, concentrating or trying to be trying to listen so um so that's what we have to understand so the way that we build our system is to understand each individual as an individual rather than taking an average. Um, it, obviously, that's what makes us work in the way we do. But from a, a pure emotional point, it's 
it's interesting because a lot of people think that confusion is a bad thing because it sounds like it should be a bad thing. The students are confused. But confusion is only a bad thing when confusion hits frustration. Because if you think about it, you want your students to be confused to a degree because they obviously are trying to understand the content. But if you took that a level lower and you had them where they weren't confused and they just went through it without any, I suppose, computation uh, forming in their brains, it would be too easy or it, they'd know it. So there's, we look for the, the, the nuances in their responses. We want to capture it before it obviously hits them frustration. So yeah, confusion is one of those ones where it's, it's a good thing, but you just, you need to understand where it becomes a bad thing. That's actually super fascinating. That's really cool. Yeah, it makes sense. You're confused because you're processing the, or you're trying to process the information and make sense of it. Wow, that's that's cool. Have have you guys also like? And I know I think it. it you mentioned too that you're not actually using. You're not like recording people uh, constantly, but you're no. do, you're doing using the cameras in another way. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, it, and it's it's for um, many different reasons, but. A lot of it's bandwidth as well, because if you post a video the whole time, it was, uh, it's not always going to be possible, especially in a lot of places that don't have uh, good internet, for example. So we, we periodically capture a still, uh, still image every couple of seconds. Uh, it's analyzed via an emotion API, and then it's deleted. So the only data that we actually hold is just numbers. If you imagine you've got seven core emotions, so the only data that we get back are seven numbers. So that's all, all we ever hold. You know, there's no, there's, there's physically no way of getting hold of these images because they don't, they don't exist after two seconds. You know, they, they're just deleted. So we make sure, especially because we need to be copper compliant uh, and all of the security that we have to have a, um, to cover ourselves in that way, we need to make sure from a data compliance point of view as well, we just, we hold the minimum possible data that we can. All right. Very interesting. If people are, or listeners or companies want to learn more about Motuit and they want to they they just want to check out your stuff. How can they do that? Uh, they can drop me an email. That's probably the best way. I love to give a, a live demo of what we do. Um, uh, we like to try and serve webinars as well uh, as much as we can. Excellent. Can, and can you can you provide your email? Yeah, my email is ross at emotuit.com. That's E-M-O-T-U-I-T dot com. Okay, awesome. And so if anybody's listening, and if you didn't get a chance to write that down, of course, you can rewind or that information will be included in the show notes. And you can check out the show notes at scalarlearning.com every week. I wanted to thank my guest, Ross Jones, for joining me today. I know he's got a busy schedule and he's making time and I really appreciate it. This was super fascinating. And this is amazing because this is stuff that I hope will eventually be used by Udemy as well. So I can have access to these analytics because, I mean, these are analytics, you know, (laughs) yeah, well, I mean, these are analytics that I think we all struggle to get all the time and it's very difficult. Uh, I just had to go through a huge process of going through my reviews and and as I was doing the redesign. So this would be this is stuff that is amazing. And it also requires no effort on the part of the student. And I think that's the real disconnect is people don't want to sit down and take surveys and write reviews. I mean, it, it is what it is. Exactly. And, and there's a big, there's a study that was done about it as well. And, you know, it's the whole TripAdvisor thing that you only get the results based on, so, you know, people tend to reply to surveys mainly, well, they'll avoid them as much as they can, or they'll give false positives because they're either really angry or something or really happy with something. You don't get that honest response. So it's asking for feedback is, 
is kind of a, a bad way of trying to get that sort of information. All right. So I, I really hope to see this get implemented in places where where my stuff is posted. So that would be amazing. So again, thank you, Ross. This was really, really cool. And thank you guys so much for joining us again. Check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Definitely make sure to follow us, subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to our newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter at scalarlearning.com. We have weekly emails with information on podcasts and new videos, etc. Thank you guys so much. And I'll see you all next time. Take it easy. Learning, give me that skill. Learning, give me that skill.